0: On Thursday evening, we celebrated the Feast of the Ascension, and if you didn't come, you're in good company. This is one of the least observed and least understood feasts in the church, but the church in her wisdom knows you need it, and so when you come on Sunday, we gather up what we did on Thursday, the themes, the readings, some of the blessings, um, and bring it to you here because you can't understand Jesus And you can't understand what God has done without the ascension. And so we are going to talk a little bit about that, and specifically how God's glory is revealed in the life of Christ and in yours and my life, because that's really what the ascension is all about, Christ living with the Father in glory. And so that's what we will unpack today. Our knowledge of the ascension comes primarily from the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And what we have is some very interesting clips where Jesus gathers together his disciples, his followers, he says some final words to them, and then he vanishes. And you're left wondering, where did he go? And what do we do now? And if you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, yes, they believe he is the resurrected Christ. Yes, he is the king of kings and lords of lords, but where is he? And my favorite painting is, you know, there's lots of icons of the ascension and it shows, you know, you know, Jesus going up in his whole body into heaven. But there's a painting where it just shows Jesus's feet and the disciples are all down here and you look up and you just see the feet leaving the top of the painting. It's as if he's going away. But what does that mean? What is he doing? How does that affect our life of faith? So the ascension is a critical step in what theologians call the canonic journey. Fancy word, but canonic just simply means self-emptying. So let me just give you this span of Christ. I know you know it well, but John in particular gives us the span of who Jesus is so we can see it together. The Son of God was with God at creation. The Son is eternal. And there's a sense that all of creation came into being through him. So he was in glory before creation came into being. And then there was the words of the prophets and the words of wisdom, and all the ways that God tried to get the attention of the people. And in God's wisdom, God sent God's Son to earth to be among us, to live with us, to show us the way. And so, if you think of this kind of descent into the abyss and then back up again, and that's the back up again that I'm going to talk about in a minute. But Jesus, in a sense, empties himself of every divine prerogative every glory, and comes and is with us as man. And not just as man, but as suffering servant. The one by whom and through whom we come to be reconciled with God. It's that concrete. In the cross, in the resurrection, in the ascension, it is though Jesus has weaved us back into relationship with God and we can enjoy eternal life through him. But first it was that process of giving up everything, laying down his life, even death on a cross. And in a sense, Jesus trusted the Father to make good of that. I mean, you can wonder whether Jesus knew all that was going to happen, but there was a sense he was all in, all love. And so as he died on the cross, he completely surrendered himself to the mercy and love of God. And what did God do after three days? God collected Christ to himself, raised him to new life, and brought him after many resurrection appearances in 40 days to the life of the Father. And so there you have this completion of that journey where he emptied himself, but then was glorified, that God's glory shone through his self-emptying actions. And I take time to talk about that because I think it's relevant for us as well. Because in times like these, where we have a 20-year-old who died in a car accident this week, where a friend in school commits suicide, where mass shootings happen to the unsuspecting, we have to ask ourselves, what do we believe? What do we believe about this life of ours? In what way is God redeeming the world? And I've talked to many friends right now who say, I'm not hopeful, I'm scared, I feel despair. And I think those are normal reactions, And that's why suffering in and of itself is not redemptive. But if we join our suffering with Christ's suffering, if we join the suffering of the world with the suffering of Jesus who came before, there is a way that God can move through those things, can flow through those things so that we become agents of grace. We become prisms of God's glory. And so we really, you know, it's interesting, we often hear thoughts and prayers for those who died. And sometimes we get frustrated that's not enough. But if you really think about it, if you take thoughts and prayers away from the platitude or the lack of action and say, oh, prayers, okay, in what way can I bring this event, this loss, this sorrow into the cross of Christ and ask God to redeem that situation as he did Jesus. So that's, that's what we're talking about today. That's why this matters. It's not just theological. It's not just conceptual. It's a way of understanding that by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of the Holy Eucharist that we receive, we are the head, the heart, the hands of Christ in the world. And there's ways that as we touch people, maybe ourselves and maybe our friends, it may be a neighbor, as we touch people in that love of Christ, they will be made whole, they will be made new, if not immediately in the fullness of time. And so that's the vision that we're calling you to. So that brings us to our lesson from John, which is highly theological. And sometimes people just put John aside because it's like, I can't quite understand John. But there are some themes in John that are critical. And there's one in particular in today's lesson. And Throughout John, Jesus makes it clear that he and the Father are one. Jesus so dwells in the Father, and the Father so dwells in the Son, that when you look at Jesus, you see God. And so some people say, well, we can't know God, we can't see God. Actually, you can. If you look at the life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, you see God's glory, and that's reliable. And so we do have quite a bit of evidence quite a bit of reference for who God is. And that's why we keep our eyes on Christ. And in the same way, as Jesus and the Father were one, and he was constantly praying, and he was constantly teaching, the Spirit gave him the words, we too are in Christ. That's what baptism is. We actually nestle our lives within Christ's life. And so in that same way, just as Jesus was anchored in the Father, so we are anchored in the Son, and we can have eternal life through him. So today's lesson, chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, the context is important. It's the Last Supper. And so Jesus has broken the bread and served the wine, my body and my blood. And Jesus has washed their feet. And you should know now that the passion is imminent. Um, He can literally hear death knocking on the door. It's hours away. And so this passage is his final prayer with the disciples at the Last Supper. So it gives it a sense of urgency, a sense of immediacy. In his prayer, Jesus prays that God will be glorified in him just as he has glorified God. Now the word glory, it's a, it's a religious word. It's kind of a heavenly word. We're not sure what it means. And it can mean different things in different settings. But in this context, the glory of Christ is finishing the work that God has given him to do. He has brought it to completion. He is now being led to the cross. And there's a sense that as Judas goes out to betray him, and as he carries the cross, his work is complete. He has done everything that he could do. And like I said, he turns it over to the Father. So that's how Jesus glorifies the Father, And the Father glorifies the Son in the resurrection, in the ascension, in raising Christ to glory. Do you see how that happens? They're so in one another that glorifying one means glorifying the other. There's kind of, I like to see this like ball of light. Faithfulness in one shines on the other and the faithfulness of that one shines on the other. And that's the life of the Trinity, that constant glorification of the other. And that's the kind of life that we're called into. The lesson from first Peter references the glory of Christ's suffering as well. Peter writes, but rejoice insofar as you are sharing Christ's suffering so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. And then he goes on to pray for his disciples those sitting there those yet to come. Jesus has given them the trustworthy words of God and now they have given those words to others. They know that he is the Christ the Messiah who will bring life and love into the world. And Jesus knows that the path that they will take will be like his. He took the way of the cross. They too will walk the way of suffering. And Jesus will be known. God will be glorified in their faithfulness. Then they go out into the night and they face the worst that evil can muster. And yet God's glory is revealed even in the depths of hell. That's the kind of faith we hold on to. That's the bedrock. So we are not new to suffering. Suffering has been in the world, but Christ has shown us a way that suffering can be redeemed and make us whole. So I suggest that as we go from this place today, I would like you to think about those places where your heart is broken, your mind is confused, your hands feel unable to act, think of what that place is for you, and then imagine joining that with Christ's work, Christ's action in the world. We know that Jesus carried that cross and that others came to help him. And in the same way, you may have a cross that you are carrying, and it was never intended that you carry that alone. It was intended that in Christian community, we carry that for one another, And so be attuned to the ways that either you are carrying a cross and you need to ask someone for help or they are carrying a cross and you could lend a hand. Because Chris likes to say, you know, the worst thing you can say in a time of suffering is, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not true. We get more than we can handle all the time. So what does God give us? God gives us community. God gives us family. God gives us one another to bear what we cannot bear alone. And so that's our call today. In the ascension, in the raising of Christ to glory and his pouring out of the Holy Spirit to equip us, we are empowered to carry our cross, to share our cross with others, and to lend a hand for those who need it most. When we are faithful to Christ's call to love, God's glory shines in us and through us And it casts light on the path so that others who are in the darkness, who are seeking to find a way, they can see that light of God. They can see Christ in us and have a sense of where to go next. Glory, glory, alleluia. Amen.